Mm-hmm. The National Football League was the only thing I was not prepared for. I never prepared to be a head coach in the NFL. Yeah. It just came to me and I took it because I didn't I was afraid to be here. So I ran from this. I'll never forget the day I got the call. I was sitting in my office in Tampa, palm trees blowing outside the window. <laughs> you know, people would say, Does it get better than that? Right? Yeah. And they called me from Rutgers and said, Yeah, guess what? We just got invited to the Big Ten. Welcome back to the Next Up Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Brenneman. We're in Piscataway, New Jersey today at the Rutgers football facility talking to Rutgers head coach Greg Schiano, guy has seen it all in college football. He's back at Rutgers for stint 2.0 as head coach, was a head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is one of the biggest, most well-known names in football. We're going to dive into NIL, transfer portal, what college football needs to do, his rebuild at Rutgers. Before we get there, Please subscribe to this podcast. Last time I checked, only half of the people that actually watch this podcast subscribe to the channel. So please, get, let's get that, up, that number up to 75 80%. Press that subscribe button. Your guys' support allows me to get guests like Greg Ciano on this show. Let's go talk to Coach Ciano. Next up. Hey, Adam. How you doing? Good, man. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you doing this. Uh, my pleasure. Sorry I was late. I was oh, at uh, on campus. And the guy that I was talking with <laughs> didn't stop, <laughs> and I couldn't stop him. How's that sound? Some of those you gotta let bleed yeah. out, you know. No doubt. Oh, oh, right there. All right. Try to get them set up, Chris. So how's things? They're great, man. They're they're busy. Just yeah. uh, been traveling around doing the media stuff. You know, it's been it's been fun. How are you? You like it? Oh yeah, yeah. It's been uh, you know, I spent I was coaching for two years. I was been I've tried it all. I don't. Coaching things a little tough, you know. <laughs> How'd you get hooked up with Herm? So he coached me in the uh, Under Armour All American game in 2012. Yeah. So uh, he called me. Uh, he hit my strength coach from UMass when I was there was also working with Herm at ASU, and they needed a GA that could coach the tight ends because they had two receiver coaches, so they didn't have a staff spot for tight ends. And he calls me. He's like, "You want to come help coach the tight ends at ASU?" I flew out two days later and started coaching. Yeah, not yeah. a bad place to. To, to it's not live, bad, huh? not bad at all. Yeah. So I was just, last time I was here, I think it was, I was texting my dad this morning, it was 2011, the pit game. Uh, you guys had pit at home, and I remember you met with oh. me about an hour and a half before kick in your office. And I yep. remember you were like the only coach to meet with me before a game. Yeah. And I was, I was, uh, I, I always remember that because it, it was a cool moment. Yeah, you were the number one tight end in the country. Of course yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> And we, we beat the heck out of Sinceri that day. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. I felt so bad for Tino, that. Tino, right? Tino Sinceri? Yeah. That was the year that um, the one season that uh, the dude who was at ASU. Um, Who's that? Who was the coach there? He only went to Pitt for one year. Uh, Todd Graham. Uh, oh, Todd, Todd Graham. Graham. Yeah, Todd Graham. Yep, yep. And, and we're studying him, and we're like, I don't think they have a protection adjustment when you stem from this to this uh-huh. so the first time we, we i called it i'm like let's see what they do and no. it was just a explosion <laughs> in the backfield i'm like guys i don't think they have an adjustment to this and they're like now they have to i'm saying i'm telling you they don't we had like nine sacks that day yeah. that poor kid and i know his dad sal yeah. right so yeah. um he comes he's got ice bags i go to shake his hand he's got <laughs> ice bags right all over i'm like dude i finally i said to him i said hey let's talk later you yeah. know because i know his dad well yeah and I said to him, I said, you got any adjustment for that? He goes, no, I've been trying to get everybody. <laughs> I said, well, you better get one. You're going to get killed. You know how it is yeah. when you get something exposed on tape. Yeah. No, and everybody copies yeah. it, right? It's, and the best feeling is when you think it's going to work and it actually does work no in the kidding, game, right? right? Like, <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Do, do, you, do you always do the, the meeting with top recruits before games? Is that kind of your, in, yeah. in your office? That- I try to do it. Now, we built, which really nice, we built a game day office for me downstairs. Got it. So it's right off the tunnel, and that's even more convenient because, yeah. you know, I want to be around our team too. Yeah. So like, if a kid's not in there or the coaches need me, yeah. where if I was up here, yeah, my goodness, you're, down. yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're you're kind of removed from everything, yeah, and it's not good for me either because all of a sudden I get sprung <laughs> on the scene. I got a game to coach. I'm like, uh, yeah, 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 get ready. Yeah, recruiting never stops, though, right? It never, it never. To stops. me, it never does. Yeah. You know, at a place like this, I always look at like. We signed some kids that you did or didn't think were going to be the, the game changer, and they ended yeah. up being the game changer. So you never know. People, yeah. You were a top guy, right? So yeah. obviously I'm going to do that for you. But mm-hmm. sometimes you, you never know if they 
if there's a reason that you invited them, there's a reason you invited them. Yeah. And you never know who's going to be what. Everybody yeah. thinks they have this. I mean, you know, you were a yeah. really good recruiter. Yeah. In the short time you did it, mm. you were a little bit of a pain in the ass, to tell you the truth. <laughs> so, but uh, you have to, because you never know. Ronnie Gerald was a great example. Ronnie started like 50 games here. Yeah. It was signing date night. 4 a.m. We were waiting on some high kid down in Florida, mm -hmm. high recruit. Ended up going to Auburn. Finally, it was 4 a.m. I said, "Screw it." We had a we had a uh, a courier uh -huh. outside his house <laughs> waiting to give him the letter of intent. I said, "Tell him to give it to him." And I called him. I said, "Hey, there's a guy's gonna don't be you know." I told him not to ring the doorbell. <laughs> he's just gonna leave it on your step. Go get it. He goes and get it. And I said, "Sign it, and you're in." Yeah. And he signed it, and we introduced him the next day. Last guy taking it was us or Penn. Uh -huh. He started 40-something straight games. Wow. Smart, tough. Yeah. You know, so you never know. I mean, the exact science of it, yeah. you have an idea. but The, the whole evaluation process, too. How, how do you, you know, at a place like this with, you know, I, I was just talking to some guys before this, you know, in this area, it's such a rich area for talent, but you're also competing with everyone comes here to recruit, everyone in the country, USC, Florida, you know. How do you, what's your philosophy? Like, how, how do you find, is it mostly finding the three stars in New Jersey, keeping them home? Is it going elsewhere? What, how do you kind of approach the recruiting aspect? We're a developmental program, right? Yeah. So our whole philosophy is you recruit and recruit the players that are right for us. Yeah. I think too many people get caught up in the stars, stars and the 247 and yeah. all that stuff. Forget that. We're yeah. going to recruit the players that are right for us. So what is that? We're looking for unselfish guys, guys mm -hmm. that tell the truth, do the right thing. Guys that want to be here, that love football. Yeah. This is not a like it program. If you like it, <laughs> yeah. probably not going to do well here. Yeah. You got to love it. So sometimes those guys are five stars and sometimes mm -hmm. they're three stars. Who cares? Yeah. Right? To me, you got to be able to, I look at him, I say, when I watch that kid on tape, is he going to be a guy that four years from now can go play in the National Football League? Mm -hmm. If we develop him the way that we know how to develop guys, and we do it a little differently, and I don't, I don't shy away yeah. from that. But will that guy be able to go compete in the league? And, you know, when you look at the success we had getting guys ready for the National Football League and then guys that make it over time, not just yeah. play a little bit, but have a career, I really think it's the mental and physical toughness that they learn here. Yeah. That league, as you know, is tough. Man. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is. If you're on a bad team, you play 20 games a year. <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah. long season, long, yeah. right? You're on, a, you're on a championship team, you play 25 games. Mm -hmm. That's two college seasons. Yeah. So... I think our guys, you know, they, they really uh, cherish that, but it's got to be the right fit because it's yeah. hard. There's no, it's not easy to be a guy on this team. Yeah. You're in year four now and you're uh, 2.0 stint as head coach at, at Rutgers. What's the biggest difference between now and when you were here? And was it 2011, your last year? Mm -hmm. The biggest difference is the Big Ten Conference. Yeah. And I love it. You know, I, I was from 2002 on. I was trying to get Rutgers into the Big Ten. And it was very hard, very hard to do, right? Poor Jim Delaney, every time he'd see me coming. Call him you know, every day. He'd be like, oh, God, you know, because he's a Jersey guy. Yeah. Grew up in New Jersey, so I'd always try to play the Jersey sentimental. Yeah. Uh, you guys need a Jersey footprint. Absolutely, right? right? And Coach Paterno was great because he always wanted an Eastern partner. Yeah. So he was a proponent for it when he was still alive. And, you know, I really thought it was happening, and then it fell through, and I really felt trapped because yeah. we had done a lot, and all of a sudden we were not going to have a league. Mm -hmm. And um, I was so excited for Rutgers when they finally did get invited. Yeah, Quite honestly, I was sad for myself because that was my dream, to be the head coach at Rutgers in the Big Ten. Con I think the Big Ten, you know, the intersection of elite academics and mm -hmm. elite football, that's the Big Ten. Yeah. 13 of the 14 schools in the league are AAU universities. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's about. It's still college football. I know... There's all the NIL, there's all that stuff going on, but it's still college football. football. Yeah. And the word college comes before the football. Mm. Like, <laughs> you're there to get an education. Yeah. Because we all know, like, you know, there's 1,696 guys that are active NFL football players when the season starts, mm -hmm. once the cuts are made. There's over 8 billion people on the planet, so there's not yeah. that many guys that play in the National Football League. Yeah. 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 And most of them are going to do something else. And I really... I love the success our guys have had in the National Football League, but I equally love the success that guys have had being husbands and fathers and yeah. running businesses and working in schools and being medical people. Uh, 
I love when the players come back. We had a great reunion at the spring game, and mm -hmm. just to hear who's doing what, and the ki their kids and their yeah. wives, and just to see them as grown men, you know, that's that's what college football's about. And that, yeah. quite honestly, that's what I missed when I went to the National Football League as a coach. It doesn't happen there. Yeah, it's different. You're right. So I love being back, and I love being in the Big Ten. That's the biggest difference. It's also, you know, a very, very competitive league. Big Ten East isn't, isn't Yeah, Big Ten East is definitely uh, – it, it's up there, right? But I love it. I'd have it no other way. Yeah. And iron sharpens iron, and we're going to get we're gonna get sharpened. We're getting close. Yeah. When you were here the, in your first stint, you know, you took this place from, you know, one, one of the – one of the bad programs in college football to a premier program. I mean, when I was getting recruited, this was a cool, you know, this a cool place to be. You guys were, I was listening to the uh, pandemonium in Piscataway uh, uh, call this morning on the drive here. What, what was it about that rebuild? Like what went into it? How'd you change the culture? How'd you get this place to, to one of the top programs in the country? Well, the, the, the kind of the misnomer is it wasn't a rebuild. It was a build. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Rutgers true. hadn't, yeah. Rutgers only started playing big time college football in like 83, 84. Yeah. They'd have a game where they'd play a couple big schools. Mm -hmm. but then they'd also play what are now, you know, Patriot League schools. Yeah. Um, when Dick Anderson came and took over, Coach Burns was the winningest coach in the history of Rutgers, a tremendous coach. Mm -hmm. Dick Anderson came and the schedule became all big time. Yeah. Now, there was no league at the time, but it was all the Eastern schools. Um, when we came, we thought we had to do things differently. I had watched a bunch of coaches come and go that took the seconds and thirds in New Jersey mm -hmm. with the hope of someday getting the number one in New Jersey. Yeah. Well, I said, we're not, we're, you know, just look at the history. It doesn't work. Yeah. We just went wherever we could find guys that fit what we were looking for. Mm -hmm. And then we developed the heck out. I think our strength, strength and conditioning program is the best in the country. We mm -hmm. do things differently. We train differently. Um, but the results, you can't argue with the results. Yeah. And um, to me, that's a big, big part of it. Not just the physical development, but the mental toughness and the things that we learn in our off-season program that are going to serve us well. You know, we call it chopping, right? Yeah. It's the mental and physical toughness to stay focused on that spot and just keep doing it over and over again. Yeah. And that's hard, right? Because there's bombs going off yeah. every day. There's bombs in life, relationship yeah. bombs, financial bombs, academic bombs. There's also bombs in the game. Yeah. My knee hurts. It's hot. That three technique is a monster that's playing in front of me. <laughs> yeah. But you got to learn how to chop through that and uh, – that, to me, is a skill that I think is something that our players leave here with and that serves them well, not only as athletes and professional athletes, but as husbands yeah. and fathers and all that stuff. Because, you know, as you get older, you're still a young guy, but you're yeah. going to see there's going to be those ups and downs. And if you can't chop through it, the downs yeah. really take you too far down. Mm -hmm. You know, when you got back here then for the second stint, what was the biggest thing that surprised you when you got back here? Was it, you know, mm. it was obviously different than when, than when you left here. You know, there yeah. were some, some bad seasons in between there. Quite honestly, there was a lot of things that, you know, I was here for 11 years yeah. that, in football that's coaching. Eternity, that's eternity, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a lifetime. That's, that's right. So w I thought we had really established some practices that were in place yeah. that had nothing to do with football, but had to do with things like the way that players were fed or the way that players were cared for from a medical standpoint. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those things had eroded or changed. Maybe they just didn't like the way we did it. Yeah. But I'm convinced the way we were doing it, and we've tweaked it some, yeah. but getting that back was, was a surprise. I thought that those things would be in place. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? You just go back to work and you redo it. You, yeah. you, you, you know, this is a rebuild, yeah. no doubt. We, we yeah. built it once, got as high as seventh in the country. Our goal was to be number one, and we didn't get to number one. So yeah. our goal is to be number one again. And I didn't come back to go to bowl games, and that's going to be nice, and that's yeah. a step along the way. But... The reality is we came back to be national champions, and yeah. to, do, to do that, you got to be Big Ten champions, and then eventually, you know, there's steps along the way, but uh, I love it. Yeah. It's a great place to be. And the, the resources needed in college football today to compete are bigger than ever, especially in the Big Ten East. I mean, you can make the argument Big Ten East is the best division in college football, the most competitive, top-heavy. Do you feel like you have the commitment, the resources you need? And, I mean, the facility is amazing. I mean, even the changes from 10 years ago when I was here, it's, it's, you got everything you need from a facility standpoint. But, you know, there's always upgrades that can happen. Do you have that kind of commitment to, to be able to be a national champion? I really feel we do. Yeah. Uh, from the top down, from our governance to our president to, to everybody who is in, in the university. And that wasn't always the case our first time. Sometimes yeah. my first time here, I felt like <laughs> I had one hand behind my back uh, as a program. Yeah. But I do feel that now, and I do think the Big Ten is a huge reason, right? Think of the 
you know, the financial difference and the resources that the Big Ten Conference, the yeah. football TV money, the go all those things bring to a university, not to mention the prestige. I mean, being in the Big Ten Conference is huge, not yeah. only for football, but for the entire university. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think we do. But as you know, it's an arms race, yeah. right? And it is a Always race. Always need more. <laughs> but I, I look at it like this. I don't try. I'm not trying to be a better version of Ohio State or a better yeah. version of Michigan or Penn State. We're different, and I want to be different, mm -hmm. right? We have everything you need in this building. You've seen it. Recovery. Yeah. There's a place for the players to relax. But we don't need, you know, rock climbing walls and bowling <laughs> alleys. We don't need that. Yeah. You know, what we need to do is make sure these guys are growing up, making sure these guys are becoming responsible men, yeah. make sure they're becoming the best player they can be. And what we have in this building is what they need. Are there things we have to improve? Sure. Yeah. But uh, it's a crazy world, as you know, right now in college Wild. football. So yeah. uh, we're just trying to keep our head down and be who we are. When you took the job the second time and you were considering taking the job, I think you had just taken a year off and spent some time with your family. What were those conversations like? Were there things that you wanted to say, I need to know the commitments there to be able to take this job and know that I can take it to where I want it to be? 100%. That was it. Yeah. It wasn't about me. I had been a head coach for a long time. You know, like yeah. It was about, do we have the commitment to build this thing into what my vision is and our vision now is mm -hmm. or is it going to be you know one step forward one step back you know one of those deals and when I became convinced that that was there that's when I yeah wanted to come back yeah you know college football's changed more than more in the last three years or four years and it's probably changed in the last hundred right I mean it is so you're different not, now I'm kidding it's so different now than it even was you know when I when I was playing college football I mean it's just when you were at Rutgers last time how have you adapted to the NIL transfer portal time? You know, not just NIL, but like the combination of the two, transfer portal and NIL together is, right. is wild. And, and how has it adjusted like your entire strategy? It, ch it changes every part of the game, really. I think you hit it on the head. It's, it is the most transformational time maybe in the history of college football. Although yeah. I, you know, I wasn't around in the 1930s. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. there was transformation then too. But you hit it on the head with the portal itself would have been huge. Yeah. NIL in itself is huge. And then how about the conference realignments and all that stuff? I yeah. mean, you're talking about seismic shifts. Yeah. The portal, I think, is a good thing if handled correctly. And I think mm -hmm. we're headed in that direction. NIL is something that I have been a proponent of. Well, I worked for Coach Paterno, and he was a proponent of paying the players way back, right? Yeah. So I adopted that in listening to him. And I, I thought players should have been paid as long as I've been a head coach. I've said that. And mm -hmm. at times gotten laughed out of the room. But yeah. It's not very funny now, is it? <laughs> and I think NIL is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that it's handled the right way, and I'm not sure we're doing that right now. Oh. Um, the integrity of the game is at stake. Mm -hmm. and you, I think you're going to start to see things pop up that are byproducts of NIL. I mean, 18 to 22-year-olds with substantial money in their pocket is yeah. different than 22-year-old that goes to the National Football League and has mm -hmm. guidance and has been through a college program. Yeah. I think we really, you know, we're trying to do a great job in educating our guys, mm -hmm. right? And it's amazing. That's If there's a, pos a real, real positive, other than them having some money in their pocket, is they're learning about financial literacy. They're learning about the impact of income taxes and things like mm -hmm. that. But it's really changed the competitive landscape of college football. Yeah. And if, you know, under my desk, I have a little saying, it says, if you don't like it, dot, 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 change it or change the way you think about it. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't change it unilaterally, or yeah. I would, right? I'd make it, I think, in a better format. Mm -hmm. So I got to change the way I think about it. Yeah. And we're trying to be in our way. Again, be different. Don't just chase the trend, but do it in our way with our players and make sure that they know that NIL is something I've supported for yeah. as long as I've been a head coach. But doing it our way and being responsible with it. Mm -hmm. I hope that nationally that happens because it can become just an insane competitive advantage. Right. Yeah. But I always say this, as long one of the things that I fear about NIL, people have been cheating forever. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. they, you know, people say, no, we don't, but that's <laughs> fine. I'm, I'm not going to worry about that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm a big boy. I've done this a lot of years. <laughs> the thing we have to make sure is there was always an 85 scholarship limit. If it becomes where some schools are back to, not always, in my career there's always yeah. been. It used to be where you could sign as many as you want, yeah. 
and you'd see programs turn on a dime, right? Yeah. Can we keep it where there's a sustainable 85 limit, yeah. where guys aren't just getting paid mm -hmm. through NIL and using that as additional yeah. scholarships, right? Yeah. Because you think that some of the traditional powers aren't going to continue to yeah. be? They are, of a course. A walk-on with a million-dollar NIL deal. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. How much of a walk-on is he, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of issues there that I don't think people really even yeah. thought of. Quite honestly, this was thrust upon the NCAA yeah. because of lawsuits. Yeah. And... Um, we're playing catch up. Mm -hmm. I think Charlie Baker, you know, taking over yep. at the NCAA. Hopefully, there's you, know, you hear a lot of things that he wants to do. Yeah. Is it that easy to move the needle? I don't know, but I do know this: is we have a season coming up, and we need players <laughs> that are bought into what we're doing. Yeah. And I'm honest with them. I tell them exactly where we stand mm -hmm. with it. We have uh, a couple of collectives that are helping us, and. I still love coaching because, again, it comes down to either change it, which I can't unilaterally do, or change the yeah. way you think about it. So I've learned to change the way right now. I've always believed they should be paid, but I've learned, okay, this is how we're going to do it because yeah. I'm comfortable with that, and I don't care what other people are doing. Yeah. And I tell the recruits that, look, this is what I can tell you, and this is what you're not allowed to tell you. Now, some people are telling you that. you know, yeah. They'll quote figures and all that. It's not legal. Yeah. And you know, I've spent a... Long, long career doing things right. I'm not going to let situation or circumstance dictate to me now that we're going to do it wrong. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about when everyone talks about how important NIL is for the kids and the recruits now. From your experience now talking to transfers, are they do, do kids ask about NIL right away now? That's a big topic. Oh, yeah. And families do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's no, the parents no. asking. And I don't think that's, you know, people look at that. Oh, yeah, it's bad. No. Why is that bad? Yeah. You have a, a son who is, or, you know, there's females that are getting it as well. You look at some yeah. of the, the uh, female athletes that are making huge NIL deals. Yeah. But you have a family that this is an opportunity for their family to advance. Yeah. What's, wrong, what's wrong with that? I mean, when they go to the NFL and the family advance, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Well, if there's money to be had and it's legal... Then yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. I would have been opinion. asking you in 2011. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, coach. What are we talking here? Right. In your office, that would be my top question. <laughs> you know, the, the the reality is the rules are so ambiguous. Yeah. And maybe they're not ambiguous. Maybe they're not very fair. Uh -huh. And then states get involved. So certain states you can do things, and mm -hmm. um, it just isn't, in my opinion, isn't really arranged efficiently yeah. or effectively yeah. it needs to there needs to be an overall plan for this thing and i have no problem you know i know people get and i'll get in trouble for saying this people get all concerned about the players want to unionize let them unionize i think that'd be great yeah right then we have a collective bargain agreement yeah we have a salary cap yeah there's rules you know, there's yeah. there's rules yeah. that's exactly right and yeah. people say well what you can't do that that's not i get it i understand this is college athletics and people loved college athletics for its quote-unquote purity, right, mm -hmm. different than professional sports. But these guys, I mean, not at every program, but there's a lot of programs where guys are making huge amounts of money. Yeah. Now, that's a professional athlete. Yeah. They're not playing, paying that guy that money because he, have a, he has a nice name or a nice <laughs> image yeah. or his picture or likeness. They're paying him because he's a really good football player, and that's what people are attracted to. Yeah. Now, you say, well, it's not pay for play. Well, that same guy, if he wasn't playing football – would not be making that money. requiring that kind of fee. Yeah. So it is, in essence, right? I think we all have to come to grips. You know, it's out of the, the train left the yeah. station. Now, how do we manage it? How do we keep the train on the tracks? Yeah. Because it could jump right off the tracks, mm -hmm. and it could be a real yeah. mess and an embarrassment for, for an establishment called college football that's been so, so highly yeah. favored in this country. Mm -hmm. I hate to see the game jump the tracks. Yeah. So who's got to do it? We got to do it. We got to take control of it and make sure it yeah. doesn't get out of hand. Yeah. When it comes to the transfer portal, I'm curious to hear specifically how the portal portal has adjusted your recruiting strategy for a couple of things. One, your allotment of of scholarships to high school kids versus what you save for the for transfers. Number two, just your staff. You know, you now have to evaluate college players just as much as you have to evaluate high school recruits how has it changed you know everything you know from your your philosophy and strategy well adam you're exactly right now like you're talking about very much the, my experience in the nfl certainly helps yeah because pro in the nfl you department. have a pro scouting and then a college yeah. scouting right so we have a college scouting and a high school scouting mm -hmm. and without a doubt we're evaluating players we don't tamper we don't do that yeah. 
lot of people do. That's, you know, again, that's never going to change. Yeah. You've know, got a bunch of competitive men that are always trying to find a way to get an edge. But you have to evaluate them because yeah. you have to know if that guy... And the evaluation isn't just so much the X's and O's, the tape you watch. I have a feeling, very much like free agency, you have to be careful in the NFL of who you bring into your locker room. Mm -hmm. It's no different here. When you bring a portal guy in, you're bringing him in because when you watch the tape, you know he can play. Yeah. And he's going to fill a need. But if he's not a cultural fit, well, he's still going to play, and he's still going to make plays, but now he's going to rip your locker room apart because he's going <laughs> to act the way he wants. Yeah. And, you know, people follow who? The guys who make plays. Yeah. People say, oh, he's a great leader. He's a great leader because, yes, he's, <laughs> he's got those things, but he's good. <laughs> yeah. And people yeah. want to follow guys that make plays. Yeah. So it's really important that we use the portal, number one, to fill the needs we have, mm -hmm. and number two, that we bring guys in that are a cultural fit. Otherwise, they can have a negative effect on your team. And I still believe you build your organization, you build your program through high school recruits. Mm -hmm. We use it, like so many other schools, we use it to fill holes. And it's usually relationships that we know the guy yeah. or we know his coach very well or we know somebody. There's a connection. Yeah. So we know the young man we're getting because a lot of the times these things, that's why you need a college scouting department mm -hmm. because you got to say, hey, if this guy came available, we don't have a connection to him, then we really have to do a deep dive yeah. and make sure he has a cultural fit. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And, and the... You know the so do you have guys that are evaluating just those college players all the time and then do. and then you have high school evaluation and then do they you know how do, how do you do the allotment scholarship wise do you save like 10 a class or five a class and we're going to save these or is it kind of case by case basis it's case by case it's year by year yeah so uh, again i learned so much working for coach paterno right yeah. the way he forecasted the roster the, yeah. the roster going forward is something that he shared with me, and I've used it ever since. Uh -huh. And you have to look down the road. And one of the things, you know, seeing around the curves, where are we going to be deficient? Yeah. We thought we got this guy, but you know what? He, he ended up not being the player we thought he is, or he got injured, yeah. and it changed the game. Um, so now you, you do find yourself in a pickle sometimes mm -hmm. where for the 23 season, we need, an act, we need something, right? We yeah. need this, we need that. And that's where you aggressively go looking and you're, you know, you're, yeah. you're identifying guys. You try to set up some pecking order, so to speak, yeah. where, look, if we could, this is how we do it. But again, we're different. I yeah. think the way, you know, is our locker room, maybe four or five years from now, the locker room will be able to absorb anybody. One guy won't ever. Yeah. But right now we're three years into the build, right? And I like where our leadership is. But it's not ironclad yet where you can bring yeah. anybody in and the locker room will absorb yeah. him and make sure he stays in line. Yeah. Culture is so important. you got to keep it, especially in the build, right? And to me, it's everything. Yeah. yeah. To me, I know it's the most overused word yeah. in sport and business, but you need, you need great players. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But you can close that gap with culture as long as they have the borderline, you know, the, the, the bottom of talent needed. Yeah. The cultural part can jack them way up and allow you to beat people that on paper are better than you yeah but because of a, a a collective culture and belief system that's in place and that's where i'm excited with our team now is we're getting close mm -hmm. you know i've been here before i've felt the feeling it's we got that feeling we need to grow still a little bit physically we need to grow schematically still a little bit but we're getting close i wanted to ask you about uh, offers and your offer process because a lot of schools around the country use offering kids as a way just to get in contact with them, right? Yeah. Some schools just are offering 500 kids a class. You guys historically and your your programs offer very few kids. Where does that mindset come from? And, and is that because when you offer someone, you want it to mean that they can actually come to your school? You hit it on the head. Yeah. But it, it, it goes back to our culture again, right? Family trust chop, that's our culture. Mm. Well, trust, you know, the first part of trust to me is 100% honesty. Yeah. If I offer 400, 500 kids, <laughs> and then we start the relationship very dishonest, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a hypocrite because I ask you to be honest. And then what we have figured is it's somewhere between five and six offers for every one commitment mm -hmm. with the, the type of player that we're recruiting. Yeah. So, you know, we'll be anywhere from 120 to 150 mm -hmm. in that six to one ratio. Sometimes we offer a kid early and then we're not in it. Yeah. I don't even count that as an offer because we wanted him, but he... Yeah. he X'd us off, you know, yeah. before he even got to his junior spring. Yeah. So that's okay. You know, 
I believe, you know, it's fit. And you got to find the right fit. They all have to be a certain level. You can't recruit them. Yeah. But then you go find the fit and the chemistry that you put together each class. Before we get back to the pod, I want to tell you guys about Manscaped, the first ever sponsor of the Next Up podcast with Adam Brenneman. So need y'all to support them. Fellas, let's face it, shaving your balls is tricky and there's not much room for air. I've always been nervous shaving down there until I got the Lawn Mower 4.0. It features a ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. It's waterproof, it's got a 4K LED light. I mean, this thing is top-notch. And the best part is I've got a special code for all of you to get 20% off and free shipping on manscaped.com. Use the code ADAMB, A-D-A-M-B. Put it in manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping. And when you guys use that code and support Manscaped, our first sponsor, it helps me a ton, helps them help us, helps everyone all around. Let's all love each other. Head to manscaped.com, use the code ADAMB, 20% off and free shipping. A-D-A-M-B, 20% off and free shipping on manscaped.com. Then you put together the whole program, and that's where, like you said, Portal mm -hmm. comes in a little bit. Um, but we have to be able to identify the guys that are a fit for Rutgers. And that isn't necessarily what other people look for. Yeah. Sometimes it is. Yeah. You know, and, and that's fine too. But uh, I think those offers that are just thrown out there like chiclets. Um, <laughs> but I think the kids are catching on. Oh, they, yeah. And I and yeah. I tell them, I said, look, this is a committable offer. Mm -hmm. We've offered. We want two tight ends. We've offered. I'd like to offer twelve, but we only have nine offered. Yeah. The first two who take it are the ones who are going to get it because every one of you guys I want on the team. Mm -hmm. I'd be dishonest if I didn't say, look, this is number one and this is number twelve. <laughs> Right, that, but yeah. I'm good with all of them. They're all above the line, so I wouldn't have offered it. Yeah. And that's certainly not the prevailing method across the country right now. Yeah. But I think kids, in many ways, are growing attuned to that as well. They love it because they can post it on social yeah. media. <laughs> yeah. But deep down inside, they know, yeah. hey, I actually can go here, mm. or this is really just to come to camp. Yeah, you tell them try to commit to that offer, right? That's right. <laughs> I tell them just make sure when you, before you get off the phone or before you leave that coach's office, yeah, you just point blank say, "Hey, coach, is this a committable offer?" If there's any hesitation, you know, the him and haw at all, then <laughs> guess what? You know what you're dealing with. Yeah, and that's okay. Clear it up. You know, get it right. And and I think what young people have to understand sometimes they get in awe when they're around these coaches. Yeah, right. They see them on TV. They think. They're just people. They're just doing a job. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're the recruit. I always tell young guys, there's no recruitment without the recruit. Yeah. You're the important part here, mm -hmm. not me. Yeah. I either make a decision, do I offer you or don't I? Once I make that decision, that's the last decision I get to make. Yeah. Then it's all in your court. So I, I really try to help the players understand and empower them in the decision. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to dive into your time. Uh, in the NFL a little bit, in Tampa Bay as the head coach. And how did you decide that the NFL was something you wanted to pursue? I didn't, yeah, quite honestly. It came to you. <laughs> well, yeah, it did come to me. But quite honestly, I wanted to be here yeah. the rest of my career. I built a house. You know, most coaches don't move in the middle of their tenure. We built a house literally a half mile from here, mm -hmm. from the stadium. Um, I was going to stay here the rest of my career. I had a great role model to look at in Coach Paterno. He's at, mm -hmm. at uh, Penn State his whole career. Yeah. Uh, I said, I'm going to, he lived a mile from the office. I said, I'm going to try to create a similar situation here. Mm -hmm. And that was my plan. I had turned down a lot of really historically great jobs to mm -hmm. stay here. But then our league fell apart. Yeah. And the Big East fell apart. We were going to be, in no disrespect to the American Conference, because I think they play great football. But after 11 years, that's not the level that I wanted to be in. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to be in the Power Five level. And I had promised all the great players, like you said, at the end there, we were going to have the fifth or fourth rated recruiting class in the country before yeah. I left. Yeah, you were rolling. Yeah, it was yeah. really uh, a great class. But I wasn't sure. I didn't know where we were going to end up. You know, and you look at programs that, you know, kind of when the music stopped, didn't have a chair. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to compete consistently. You can have a one-off, but it's hard to compete consistently if you're not a member of an established league. And we weren't going to be. And I had promised these players that we were recruiting that I was not leaving. You know, the word, you're going back to Penn State. No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to anywhere. I am here for the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go to another college. And as this thing fell apart, I got, quite honestly, I got concerned. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't look the kids in the eye and go to another school. The only choice I had was the NFL. And they came calling, yeah. which fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. um, 
So I learned a valuable lesson. I share it with the players every year. I ran from something. I didn't run to something. Mm -hmm. The National Football League was the only thing I was not prepared for. I never prepared to be a head coach in the NFL. Yeah. It just came to me and I took it because I didn't, I was afraid to be here. So I ran from this. I'll never forget the day I got the call. I was sitting in my office in Tampa, palm trees blowing outside the window. <laughs> you know, people would say, does it get better than that, right? Yeah. And they called me from Rutgers and said, yeah, guess what? We just got invited to the Big Ten. Wow. I did my best to be excited for them, mm -hmm. but I hung up the phone. I literally started crying because that's what I had dreamt of. I had dreamt of Rutgers being in the Big Ten, but the only part of the dream that was missing is was I wasn't the head coach yeah. there. Yeah. And for things to work out the way they did and for God to create a plan to have me back here, you know, I believe it's, it's divine because the things that happened for me to end up back here are almost you know, very unlikely, let's yeah. call it that. Yeah. So uh, I'm thrilled. I get a second chance at a place that I consider home, my dream job. Mm -hmm. Now we got to get it done. And, uh, but yeah, it was uh, quite an experience to yeah. tell you. Uh, I liked it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I just hadn't prepared for it. It was never part of my plan. Yeah. So one thing I know, I'm not good when I don't plan for stuff. It's, <laughs> I got to execute a plan. Yeah. And the NFL is not a place to learn on the job. <laughs> I can tell you that from experience. What, what, what's the part that, that you feel like you weren't prepared for in the NFL? I'm curious. Well, I didn't understand the business aspect of the league. Yeah. That's number one, right? I mean, everything is dollars. Like, just this. In the National Football League, the number one respect comes to the contract size. Mm -hmm. In college football, the number one respect comes to what you did out there on the field last week. Yeah. Right? But if you sign a monster contract, everyone in that locker room looks up to you. Mm -hmm. Regardless if you're playing like dog do out there right yeah. now. He's rich. You're <laughs> still the guy who's making the, you got the yeah. biggest contract. Now that wears after a while, right? Yeah. That was one. Um, two, I can remember talking to the players early in my tenure about, as I used to talk here all the time to them about being a great husband and a great father, these experiences are going to prepare you for that. And I made a comment like that. And I remember one of my established players who I respected a great deal. He said, Coach, you do things the way you want. He said, but if I could give you a little advice, these are grown men. Mm -hmm. right? Some of them have been husbands and fathers for 10 years. They don't need you. Yeah. What they need you to do is make sure they're in good position to make plays. Yeah. Get them coached. Get them aligned. Get them ready to go play and let their skills. You know, these are the elite of the elite. They really don't need your life advice. They need, yeah. they need you to help them make plays. And that really struck me. I said, I got, you know, we break it down here all the time, family on three. Mm. I used to, I started there at, at Tampa doing that, and then I stopped. I said, that's hypocritical. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't, this is a business. Mm. And, you know, every Tuesday we bring in 10 to 12 guys to work out during the season <laughs> for your job, right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're player 53 to 40, mm. your job is on the line every week, and we're going to have guys trying to take it on Tuesday. <laughs> I remember I'd, I'd, have, I'd grab something to eat, and I'd always go out to the field on yeah. Tuesdays at lunch and watch the workouts. And that struck me too, like, wow, this yeah. is truly a business business. It's hard to tell them it's a family when that's going on, right? Well, that's, that's exactly. Yeah. And I think yeah. the strength of what we build here is that family, is mm -hmm. that sacrifice. You know, we believe family, forget about me, I love you. We don't think love's a feeling, we think love's an action, and that yeah. action is sacrifice. Well, no, -uh, that, yeah. that, that isn't happening yeah. there. You know, and don't yeah. try to, my whole thing is don't try to be what you're not. Mm -hmm. You know, we are who we are at Rutgers. Some like it, some don't. I'm good with both. Yeah. Right? I'm not trying to win the popularity contest. But what I am trying to do is get people that want to be part of this and build them up to be the best, you know, the, the saying that's out there now that's overused, the best version of yourself. Yeah. But it's true. You can't, be be you, know, you can't be the best version of him. <laughs> you got to be the best version of you, and that, to me, is our job collectively. Uh, that's why I love college football. I still think college football is the best growth opportunity for young people mm -hmm. the mental and physical toughness that our guys learn being a part of this program they're gonna that gets them ready for life yeah yes football but life you spent some time at ohio state too you guys were had a lot of success there what was it like working with urban meyer and then also you spent time with ryan day when he was i think the interim coach and you helped him some during that time what was that experience like for you it was super yeah. i mean it was really good for me to go back and be an assistant coach after being a head coach for so many years. Yeah, it's got to be different. Well, it's, <laughs> it's very different, and it really forced me to 
is what I believed really true or did I forget what it really is like? Mm -hmm. And the answer was yes and no. Yeah. So some, you know, a lot of it is true and some of it I really forgot what it was like. Mm -hmm. And there was things, you know, Urban did a great job at Ohio State, obviously look at the record. Obviously there's certain things that he did that I didn't agree with, but as I talk to our staff about, it's all about vertical alignment. Mm -hmm. And Coach Paterno used to say all the time, we'd argue things out in the staff meeting room, but at the end he said, okay, this is it. And I took from him is now you have to go coach it or administer it like it's your idea. Not that you agree, yeah. but it's like you're – because these guys, these players, they sniff that out right away. If yeah, you don't believe – can tell. You were a player, you know. Yeah, players Coach are comes smart. in. Players yeah, players are smart. Are smart and yeah. they play football. Yeah. Right? We're coaching. They're playing. They yeah. know when we're passionate about an idea mm -hmm. or when we're just doing it because our higher-up told us to. Yeah. And I learned – I said, look, I had to go shut the door in my office a few times and say, all right, you need to convince yourself – that this is your idea. Otherwise, players are going to know you don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, when, when Coach used to say to us, Coach Paterno used to say, look, this is the way we're going to do it, and if you can't get your arms around it, then it might be time you go get your own team. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he meant it maliciously. He was yeah. serious. At some point in everybody's career, they got to make a career decision. You know what? Maybe, I'll go, maybe you got to go down to be a head coach, or maybe you got to go to a lesser program, but yeah. there comes a time. Some guys are lifelong assistants, and they can handle that. Yeah. Other guys get to a point in their career where they can't Do handle it. Yeah. Right? That was great for me because then coming back to be a head coach, I can think and say, you know what, I remember how this made me feel as Ohio State. Now, my perfect no, I'm sure my yeah. assistants will say, but I do think I'm a lot better head coach for everybody because of those experiences, because of the tough times I had in Tampa, because of uh, Ohio State experience. I learned a lot about recruiting mm -hmm. from Urban. Urban was one of the elite, if not the elite recruiter in the country. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there's all good experiences. And again, to end up back here, the situation and the circumstances that made that possible, uh, I consider it a blessing. Yeah. Well, what, what are some of those things that played out to, to, I mean, this job came open, then you took the year off. Is that what you mean when you say the, the circumstances? Yeah, and certain jobs that I was involved with and didn't take, yeah. and in retrospect, man, I should have taken that job. That was yeah. a heck of a job. <laughs> uh, and then other jobs that, you know, looked like I was going to get and then didn't, and then yeah. after that mess at Tennessee, things get, went off the rails as far as coaching opportunities. Yeah. So it was, a, without a doubt, a journey. It wasn't easy. A lot of the times, you know, as I talk to the players, I flat out tell them, look, I went through some really tough stuff too. And was yeah. it fair? No. No, it wasn't fair. But it doesn't matter fair or not fair, right? Yeah. If you need to fight, you need to chop through this. And I think the thing that I've learned the most is when I was here last time, my oldest, we left, he was 13. Mm -hmm. Well, I raised, my wife and I raised four kids through teenage years, through college athletics. Mm -hmm. Coming back now as a head coach with that experience as well as all the other experiences, I don't think I'm softer, I don't think, but I do <laughs> think I am more empathetic yeah. for the the real struggle that college athletes go through, mm -hmm. both physically and mentally. Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand it. You know, I, I, when I was here the first time, the majority of my experience was as a player and then a young assistant coach. Mm -hmm. I got this job when I was 34. As a player, I was a bit of a rockhead. Like, I just kept going. It didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't think about feelings weren't allowed. None of that was allowed. Yeah. Well, you can't hold everybody to that standard because that's not real. That's not natural. And yeah. as I learned, it wasn't healthy for me, yeah. right? <laughs> And I think I've been able to better understand our guys. Mm -hmm. I changed the way I kind of do my job, literally changed the schedule I do so I can be more accessible to the players. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's still a work in progress. I'm 56 years old. I feel like I'm 36. I yeah. love it. I love getting up and going to work in the morning. So, again, consider it a blessing. You mentioned Coach Paterno a couple of times. You coached for him at Penn State. And then, you know, Obviously, he's been a big part of your career. What are some of the lessons you learned from him, and, and, and what kind of – were you guys talking a lot? Did you go to him for advice during your, your first tenure at, at Rutgers? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, and it was weird, you know, because I'm not sure he saw us as a competitor, but I yeah, saw him as saw a competitor, him. right? <laughs> we needed to recruit against him. But Coach was always very, very good to me. When I worked there, he mm -hmm. shared things with me that I use to this day. There's probably – there's not a day that I don't use something he taught me. Mm -hmm. um, I've mentioned a few of them, but just overall organizational strategy, yeah. leading your staff, all those things that I think um, are critical. And, and look, what happened at Penn State was a tragedy. 
-hmm. I mean, it, for everybody involved. And uh, it's not something that I talk about mm -hmm. because I just don't think that I'm the person to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't ever lose sight of what Coach Paterno, he did for, a, for my family, for me as a coach. And long after I left there, he would meet with me and give me advice and talk me through things that, uh, that he didn't have to do. And I think I've, ha I've been very fortunate with some men, some football coaches that uh, really shared more than they had to with me yeah. in my development as a coach. Another one is Coach Belichick, right? You guys are, are very close. What, what's he meant to your career? A ton. Yeah. yeah, he, you know, again, it's a blessing. His son, Stephen, played lacrosse here. So yeah. because he'd come down to watch his son, coach is a great family man and want, mm -hmm. very involved in his kids' lives, um, we would meet and talk football before the games. That's awesome. Before the <laughs> lacrosse games. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> think, about, think about being a 40-year-old head coach and you're meeting with Bill Belichick. Belichick's in the yeah. office. Yeah, and I learned so much. I learned still to this day. He spoke at our clinic just a, a month yeah. ago, less than a month ago, and I learned just listening to his clinic. So think about that, right? But. Mm -hmm. As you said, he's become a friend, and he's helped me through some tough times. Um, you know, you know who your true friends are, uh, personal relationships as well as professional relationships, and he's as stand-up a guy as they come. Yeah. Changing topics a little bit on uh, Big Ten expansion. Big Ten's going to change and, and add in USC, UCLA, possibly more depending on what happens. What are your thoughts on Big Ten expanding, getting more national on the, on, onto the West Coast? For our football league, I think it's great. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Two great historic programs. Um, I don't pretend to know all the other yeah. implications of it. You know, I don't. I don't know how a woman's softball. I mean, <laughs> I guess they're going to have a little series yeah. out that direction. I don't know how you play multiple games. Obviously, you don't go back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Nor have I really. My job isn't to be worried about that. You know, my yeah. job is to make sure we're getting this football program ready. We have, from being in the NFL, we have strategies on how you travel when you go west. Um, I'm not concerned about any of that. I am really excited about having them in the league. It increases our footprint, right, to have Big yeah. Ten football on from noon till when people are going to bed late at night. That, that's awesome for the league. Yeah. So I think overall for Big Ten football, it's, it's tremendous. And I think it's the way of the future. I don't mm -hmm. think there's going to be five conferences and yeah. all that. I think, I think you see it kind of shrinking and... Mm -hmm coming to a pinnacle, and uh, I'm just, I consider it, like I said, from 2002, been trying to get Rutgers into the Big Ten, so <laughs> to sit here and, you know, i got to pinch myself sometimes. Yeah. Now, coming off the field after some tough losses <laughs> against, you know, an Ohio <laughs> State or somebody, State, yeah. I said, what am I, crazy? Yeah. But uh, I still believe that intersection, that elite intersection, sweet spot, as yeah. I call it, of academics and athletics, that is the Big Ten, and we just added two great historic programs but again two great academic yeah. institutions that'll be a fun six-hour flight across the country for the <laughs> that's i'm cool with it go play in the coliseum <laughs> or the rose bowl do. right we're yeah. good yeah, yeah. No. What, what do you do outside of football to like when when july comes or yeah july you get some time off what do you what, what are you doing are you golfer what, what do you what, how are you passing you know, I, I, I like to golf it yeah. takes a lot of time so I really don't. <laughs> four hours. Yeah, you know, it, that's a big commitment. Four hours is if you're <laughs> playing with someone time. who can golf, right? Yeah. Um, I do like it. You know, when I was in Tampa, I got into boating a little bit. We lived on the water. Yeah. I had never ridden a boat in my life. I love riding a jet ski. Mm -hmm. uh, I love going, just being out in the sunshine, you know, spending time with my family. So we, we, we do something. There's one thing we do every year, the 4th of July week. The entire family gets together down at the, down at the beach and, you know, that's a constant. In a coach's life, there's not a lot of constants. Yeah. But that, in our family, has been a constant, so I love that. Um, but I, I love what I do. Like, people say, well, you know, you got to slow down. <laughs> if you love doing it, then other than make sure you have time for your family, right, because then they're sacrificing. But yeah. other than that, if you like doing it, if like what I've always said is my job is my hobby. So I kind of got it. Yeah, it's both a pretty ways, good deal, right? you know what I mean? Yeah, like if you enjoy doing it, then yeah. what's wrong with doing it? Like if your hobby, what if you worked till six and then went and hit balls from seven to 8.30? Well, if you like doing your job, then you just do a different part of your job. But I do, I like to get out and, and play around with friends or my wife. You know, that's something I did when I was out. She and I would play nine holes and then have dinner. And that's good. I mean, I like doing that stuff. I just like being around my kids and my wife um, and my extended family and 
when you can do it as a coach, you got to take advantage yeah. of it. You know, Coach Bowden taught me something that I uh, still, when my kids were growing up, he said, you know, Greg, you're never going to have time to have a football family and your wife and kids. So you got to make them one. Yeah. And that made sense to me. We have, he said, when you speak during the off season, just make it a rule. You'll do it, but you have to be able to take one of your kids with you. So that's what we did. We called it special sure. thing. And yeah. everywhere, some sometimes you're going to speak and you're on a private plane to Las Vegas to go mm. speak. And other times you're driving down to Trenton, <laughs> you know, to do something at the state house. But yeah. whatever it is, each kid had their opportunity. They could turn it down. Mm. But if they turned it down, it's like the draft. The next team gets to pick right <laughs> away. Pick, right? Yeah. And that those are great memories uh, for our kids doing that. And, and I, I think... You know, Coach Bowden was a – I didn't know him that well, but we on the Nike trip, he would he would share with me some things. And I, I still, to this day, uh, share that with young coaches. You know, yeah. you have to include your family. Make, I love when I come up to lunch and the – you know, the young coaches have their kids up there. I'm envious. I remember yeah. my kids running around up there. Yeah. And now they're, now they're all grown. You mentioned that you change your schedule some a little bit earlier to accommodate for the players more and be more accessible. Curious to hear, like – how you changed it, and then what's your day-to-day -day schedule like for for yourself? I'm assuming you're waking up early and staying here late. Yeah, like I said, I love doing it, yeah. so the, the hours are never an issue for me. I think the the biggest change was we're a morning practice team. I love that. Yeah. Right? You get the toughest part of your day done, yeah. and then we, you know, being an Italian guy, the the dinner table is the big yeah. place. Well, our <laughs> our dinner table is really our lunch table. That's our family yeah. meal in the organization. We eat upstairs, and then our kids go out and they. You know, they attack the academic part of things in the afternoon and the evening. So whether it's classes or study hall, learning assistants, tutors, whatever it is. Um, but what I did is I used to, as soon as practice was over, I'd grab a shower and get in one of the rooms, O or D, and watch the practice tape. Mm -hmm. I now watch the practice tape myself. Yeah. Because I want the players to know that in the afternoon, I am there between end of practice and 6 p.m. I'm in my office if you need to talk about yeah. anything. So I coach the coaches. I watch the tape. I mean, they, they might rather have me in the room because then they don't have to sit there and listen to all the – but yeah. I, I do watch the tape. But if a player comes in, I turn the tape off and we talk in my office and I'm available for them. Six o'clock we have a staff meeting every night and, mm -hmm. uh, and then get into the evening's activities. Mm -hmm. But I think the players know that that – you know, a lot, of say, a lot of coaches say we have an open-door policy. But when I was here the first time, it was open. But, you know, I was in that – Staff, yeah, offensive, defensive staff, yeah. and kids, they don't want to bother. You know, they yeah. look at you and say, well, if I'm going to pull them out of there, am I hurting yeah. our team's chance of winning? Yeah. But it might be something important. So then what happens? They go tell, talk to someone else. And that worries me because that's someone else. They may, or not, they may or may not be able to help the young person. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, after all the experiences that I've had, two things. One, the players feel comfortable enough to come in and talk. Mm -hmm. And two, you're available for them. I want to ask you about your kickoff proposal. It's gotten a, some some press. I've read about it, especially after what happened here with Eric Legrand. Uh, where where did that idea come from? And and kind of explain it a, a little bit for uh, for everyone that's not familiar with it. Sure, it's it's now 13 years old. Yeah. You know, Eric got injured in 2010. Wow. And yeah, uh, yeah no kidding, right? Yeah. So I was sitting with him in the hospital one night, and I would go relieve Karen, his mother. Mm -hmm. And so she could get some sleep. And it was I'm sitting there saying, well, do we really need – it's such a dangerous play, right? You're going full speed down the field. Eric, Eric was a 275-pound nose tackle that was the L4 on the kickoff team. Now, why? Because he could run 4-7. He ran, yeah. Right? So – but think about the amount of explosion on contact that that is, the amount of force. Yeah. I mean, the play he got injured in, the player he hit, he broke his collarbone. That's how hard Eric hit him. And I sat there and said, is that play really necessary? And certainly I ne really never thought about it before. Yeah. But sometimes it takes such extreme situations to make you really think. Eric would tell you, no, coach, you got to leave the play in the game. And that's <laughs> yeah. who Eric is, right? You, you love him. But I sit there and say, is there another way to do it? Yeah, I think there is another way to do it, right? And then the question, oh, just – you know, like you do on so many of the spring games, you see them, they start with the ball in the 25 or whatever it is. Well, then what about onside kicks? Well, I said, 
why don't we just say, I don't know what the numbers are, and I never really took the time to figure it out. I said, leave that to the rules makers. Yeah. But whatever the percentage is, each, you know, do a five-year rolling study, whatever the percentage is of onside kicks recovered, mm-hmm. find that same percentage five-year rolling average of what a third or fourth down conversion is. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's third and 18. Yeah. And do third and 18 from the 20 or 25-yard line. I don't care, whatever and make it where if you convert that, or, and maybe it's third and 25. I don't yeah. know what the numbers are, but match the numbers. It doesn't yeah. take a lot of work. And say, if you complete it and convert, yeah. then you get the ball. Yeah. And if you don't, they get the ball. And it's going to be about the same spot. You know, yeah. Where is an onside kick recovered? Right, About the 46-yard line. Right, let's Kick it off from the 35. It's got to go 10. So yeah. let's call it the 46. So whatever that yardage is, back it up from the 46. Make it a fourth down play. And I think it would be really exciting, right, yeah. to have the offense. And, you know, the one thing is people yell, well, then the specialists are out of the game. I disagree, right? The kickoff guy is out of the game. Yeah. But the guy who has to stick it between those pipes, still pretty important, right? Yeah. Many a exciting game come down to that last kick, the walk-off field goal to win it. Yeah. The punters are still needed. Punt returners are still needed. You say, well, why punt and not kickoff? Punt's a different play. Yeah. I believe that. Now, do I think that we've done things to make kickoff safer? Absolutely. The advent of the – Fair catch, the advent of the touchback, moving the ball up, all those things, putting them inside of the five yards. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot of things to make the kickoff safer. Yeah. Like we've done a lot of things to make the game safer. Yeah. I think the leadership of the game, I'm not being super critical because yeah. I, I really am impressed with what we've done in the last 15 years. Do I still believe that it, it's, it's needed? I don't. I don't mm-hmm. believe the kickoff is needed. Now, some purists would say, are you crazy? You know, and I've, I got some... Nasty emails when I, when <laughs> I sure. spoke of the idea. But again, any, any change, right? Any growth, there's change. Yeah. Change is hard. But imagine if we were, you know, we're still playing with a leather helmet. That wouldn't yeah. be so good either, right? Yeah. So I think you have to look, and there's people that progressively, continually look at the rules each year. Yeah. And I know it's come up in conversation. I remember I was with Commissioner Goodell, and I pitched the idea to him and then it's been batted around the NFL circles yeah. this was back when I was here the first time so probably 2011 what was his reaction was it receptive you know he's or a great listener crazy no he's a great listener he said yeah. you know there's there may be some merit there we're we're yeah. doing studies and you know depending on who does the studies people will come back and say well there's no additional health risk on the kickoff mm-hmm. well I couldn't disagree more but <laughs> You know, yeah. if your data says that, I think I can make my data say differently as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, data is very interesting, how you use it, how you yeah. interpret it. But I, from real life, from being on the sideline for 36 years, mm-hmm. there are some hellacious collisions. Okay. And sometimes the ball's kicked out of the end zone and there's still yeah. a collision. Mm-hmm. Right? Guys are running full speed. Guys are blocking them. Meanwhile, yeah. the ball's either being four, fair caught or, or kicked out the back of the end zone. Yeah. And two guys just laid it on the line yeah. for a non-play. You know, every line of scrimmage play, there's a result. Yeah, there's a play. You got it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, yeah. you know, I just, that's my own personal feeling. Yeah. Um, do I think it'll ever happen? I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Last couple of things I got for you. I appreciate sure. all your time. I, as you can tell, I got a lot of things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, you just mentioned data. What's your view on analytics? And when you're, when you're choosing, you get a, you have a fourth down and four on the 50-yard line, and you're deciding if you're going to go for it or not, how much are you looking at the book, and how much are you going with your gut instinct? A little bit of both. Yeah, I think the book is a good predictor, but they're dead numbers. Yeah. They already happen. Yeah. So they're a predictor, for sure. That's what all analytics are. But I think you have to have the human element and experience to plug those dead numbers and make them live right at that situation. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean dead numbers? They've happened in the past. But certain, you know, when you figure out your analytics, you have to make sure to really make them as precise as possible. You need to be changing them right up to the last minute before game time. Yeah. Wind, conditions, injuries, they all have to be factored in. Otherwise, they truly are dead numbers. Yeah. Now, you can make them more live numbers by the more specific you are with them. But at the end of the day, I use it as kind of a suggestion. I think what it does to me as a head coach is it makes me just think a little bit more in certain situations. And it makes me, more importantly, in our preparation, situational football is so critical. No doubt. And it makes me have an increased value in the studying that I do of it, and the Mm -hmm. staff does. Mm -hmm. I have a certain group of guys on the staff that are are part of the situational football 
kind of think tank and we look at that stuff and I have guys that are um, always analyzing all the things. You know, we, we subscribe to some things. We have in-house analytics. So I think every resource is critical, but they're all data points. You know, same thing with the sports science that's going on in, in this day and age. I think this stuff's awesome. Right? We can predict soft tissue injuries before they occur. But if you don't utilize it in real time, it's nothing more than a doctoral thesis. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you, need to, you need to institute certain controls and measures as that data happens and you learn of it because it could happen that practice if you're not, if yeah. you're not you know, quick to move with it. So yeah. I think it is all a growth opportunity. I don't think you can stick your head in the sand. I mean, but the world's changing so fast, you know, with AI and all that stuff. You know, how do you use that all to improve your situation but not let it take over your situation? Yeah. Do you have a book guy during the game that's telling you what the book says? I do. When, it, when it's coming up? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes I laugh. I'm like, well. <laughs> it says to go for I'll it. I'll tell you what. Let the book stand up there after the game and look the team in the eye on that one, you know. But uh, it does make me think. And, again, I, I look at it before the game, so I, yeah. nothing, nothing should catch me by that much surprise. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's all part of it. To get this place, Rutgers, to where you want it to be in the next three to five years, what, what are the one or two things that need to happen for, that to, for, for you guys to get there? Continue to fill the pipeline. I look at our program from a personnel standpoint as a pipeline of people. And there's two levels. There's the players and then there's the staff. We have to continue. You know, one of the number one things as the head coach, it's my job to continually be evaluating future staff members. Because mm -hmm. as you know, it's a transient profession, right? People come and go. Yeah. And it's my job to make sure every time we replace someone that there's a net upgrade. Mm -hmm. So that's hard to do, right? When you lose a great coach, a net upgrade might take two people. Mm -hmm. You may not only be able to replace that person with one person if they're an elite performer. So it's make sure that... I'm staying in current with staff needs. And then with the players, that pipeline is recruit the right guys for Rutgers and fill the pipeline. Because once it's full, it starts running out the other end. And we're about three quarters full. Mm -hmm. We got to get the rest of the pipeline full, and then it'll start flowing. And that's what happened last time, because we're a developmental program. Yeah. So when we bring a guy in at 18 years old, he's got to develop and get to the end of that pipeline where – He's 21 now, and he's physically and emotionally able to go out there and dominate a game. Well, yeah. the more you have in the pipeline, eventually the more they get to the end of the pipeline where they're older, they're men. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a big, you know, you did it. It's yeah. a huge difference when you're an 18-year-old and when you're a 22-year-old. No I mean, it's men playing against young boys, right? Mm -hmm. So I think fill in the pipeline, and that is recruit and develop. You say, what's the, the underlying philosophy Recruit and develop. Recruit and develop. Yeah. you got to recruit the right guys for Rutgers, and then everything else we do is to develop them in every area of their life. Yeah. You know, it, it, I would argue this is the most holistic program there is in the country when it, you're talking about dealing with every area of the players' lives. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the part that we didn't even hit on, the staff retention, right? Just having to – got to recruit your own staff as well and make sure they're happy every year. 100%. <laughs> Everyone wants more money. Right? <laughs> and that's where resources, as you mentioned yeah. earlier. Rutgers has been incredible in stepping up and helping mm -hmm. go out and get the best staff we can have. Because, you know, I used to think I could, you know, as a young coach, I'll just do it myself. I'll will it to happen. <laughs> Not so fast. Yeah. And especially as you change some of your – priorities if I'm going to be in my office for six hours watching the tape by myself mm -hmm. and then go talk to the staff yeah well I better have two great leaders running the offense and the defense yeah because they are running two major operations each side of the ball mm. and uh and then someone that's running special teams as well so yeah. the resources needed to do that we're, we're, I feel blessed that Rutgers has stepped up yeah. that way but recruit and develop both our, our talent in the staff and our talent in the team yeah. last thing I got for you what what's the what's your why? What's the reason you decided to coach? What's the reason you do this every single day? I think when I look at it, everybody's gifted in certain ways, right? God gives everybody different gifts. One of the gifts that I have is the ability to gather people and help them come together for a common cause. And in doing that, I think you can teach so many life lessons. And as I said earlier, you know, I'm at the point in my career when I see my players now, some of them are 40 years old, yeah. right? They, they, they play, I'm recruiting their sons, <laughs> right? And I sit there and say, wow, like 
I knew that kid when he was 17, and he could have gone either way. Yeah. And now I look at him, and and he's just the epitome of what you want yeah. your son to grow up like. So um, that's my why. But again, I have to always be careful to make sure I, that my own family mm-hmm. is involved in everything we're doing. Because otherwise, yeah. you know, I, I miss out, and I can't. You know, I've heard coaches say, "Well, I, I raised everybody else's kids, and I didn't. I never wanted to be that." dad Mm -hmm. but there's been challenges i'm blessed with a unbelievable wife who did a great job you know raising our kids and keeping our family together Mm -hmm. um and i'm grateful for that i feel that's you know the ultimate blessing but i just feel like that's something that that i i can do well and i think i can have an impact on people's lives so that's why i do it awesome well coach i appreciate your time it was fun to reconnect with you and, and see you again it's been like 10 years since yeah. I, I think i saw you last so uh, i'm excited to see where you take this place man i'm a i'm a, I'm a Rutgers fan so i'm excited to see see what, what what you guys are able to do well it was great yeah. having a chance to sit down with you adam thanks appreciate it, coach